Hello, everybody. It is John Pollock, and I am joined, as always, by Wei Ting. Hello. Wei, how are you? Good. Pretty good. It's an incredible night for humanity. Mm-hmm. No, you don't, you don't want to discuss politics, probably. That's not a, at the top of your uh, priority list. We can. I, I personally don't have too much to add, but feel free. Uh a man that's an alleged child molester lost. So I think that's that's always a reason to celebrate in my book. Yeah, I so, agree. Congratulations to uh, half of the Alabama voters for, I think, restoring everybody's faith that there are lines that people have even when it comes to their politics. But we won't dive uh, too much into that. We have a lot to discuss on this particular show. Uh, we have SmackDown to chat about. We're going to look ahead at some pay-per-views this weekend. And we are going to hear some a quick review of a podcast interview. Way This is a jam-packed edition of SmackDown, comma, a review. Mm-hmm. Anything else to add over the last 24 hours? How was your Tuesday? What's a Tuesday like for waiting um, these days? <clears throat> oh, I went to a yoga class. How was that? Hot yoga or regular yoga? It was regular. Uh, it was actually, if anything, it was cold yoga because it was like kind of like in like a makeshift art space, oh. Oh. Uh, and it was kind of facing windows. But it was really, it was really nice. Yeah, it was. Really it was nice. freezing today. Yeah, it was very, very cold. Very cold. It was like minus four, minus five. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that was fun. I uh, I went to the mall to do some Christmas shopping, and it was chaotic. Mm, right. Wow. What did you buy? I can't reveal someone I bought gifts for could be listening. So, I mean, there's this, there's a secret element to Christmas way. I think this is a responsible time to do your Christmas shopping. I mean, you have like two whole weeks, so uh, it's probably not that busy yet, right? Uh, the malls are pretty packed at this particular time. Oh. So, well, that's, that's what's nice. going on. And I watched a... Uh, I've been watching a lot of these Christmas movies uh, with my wife. We've mm-hmm. been taping all these like made-for-TV Christmas movies that revolve around pretty much the identical three similar character traits and storylines, and they just remake the same movie over and over again. Mm-hmm. So I'm having a lot of fun with that. The current one we're watching features a woman who is in charge of all the Christmas festivities in Chicago, including getting the yearly giant tree, like the tree you would see in Rockefeller Center, but this is in Chicago, and their tree is not oh, going to be delivered. I just spilled tea. Sorry. Oh, no. Just on myself. Oh, oh thank God. Computer. Thank God. Frightening way. Yeah. Sorry, okay. go ahead. Okay. Well, I'm concerned about you, but make sure uh, your computer's okay. Get Dell so, on the line. She has to go. Well, it could be days. She has to go outside of Chicago to Claus, Wisconsin, where there's this beautiful tree that this child happened to write to her stating, this is the perfect tree. And she's got to convince this boy's father to part with this Christmas tree that his recently deceased mother uh, loved, this this Christmas tree. And wouldn't you know it way that this woman and this single father fall in love Okay. I'm only halfway through it, but I feel what the next 45 minutes of this movie is going to uh, 
how it will wrap up literally and figuratively, given there will be some Christmas gifts involved. Well, I won't be watching that. No, no, but there's some great ones. There was a time travel one we watched starring Candace Cameron, formerly DJ Tanner. That was fun. She was from, she was transported from 1942 to 2016. And had, do you know how crazy that would be, Way? If you just jumped in time like that? That would be crazy. Yep. Yep. That would well, be for nuts. two hours, I realized just how crazy it was. And then she ended up going back in time. And she thought that her husband had died in the war. Turns out he didn't die. And he comes back from the war as she goes back in time to 1942 and is reunited with her husband of over seven decades prior. Well, that sounds thrilling. Almost as thrilling as SmackDown. Mm -hmm. Well, Tuesday Night Show took place from Cincinnati, Ohio. And it was heavily built around... Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn setting up Sunday's Clash of the Champions. Actually, it's Clash of Champions. There is no the. Mm -hmm. So when you're hearing everyone this week, you can take note of how closely people are paying attention to this name. Owens and Zayn are in the back at the start, and they are wearing Daniel Bryan Yes t-shirts, but instead of Yes, they have they have it taped over, and it says, Yep, Yep, Yep. Mm-hmm. I thought this meant that uh, Ryback's old character was coming back. That was his catchphrase when he was uh, the the yokel oh, I don't on NXT. It. I don't remember that at all. It was when he was Skip Sheffield, mm -hmm. and he played like this farm boy. Anyway. I never uh, saw that. Well, there was no, no Ryback comeback here. So first of all, way. Do you think the WWE is going to get on this and, and start selling these shirts? Because I think they'd be very popular. Absolutely. Absolutely. They did a great job. I mean, I wanted one of these shirts by the end of it. You, you, you're one of the few people I know who uses yep a lot. There's a lot of people out there who do yup, Y-U-P, or yeah. You are a yep person. Is that right? You are. I didn't yep. realize I was special. <laughs> well, I just, I'm in my head, I'm trying to think, and there's... Very few people that come to mind. You're actually the only one that mm -hmm. consistently uses yep. In fact, when I see that word, I think of you. Wow. I didn't know this. Um, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know. Uh, I didn't even realize I had used it uh, that often. But I guess that's kind of cool, kind of neat. You're, you're, you're going to catch yourself now the next time you go to do it subconsciously. And then when you get to the P yeah. and before you hit send, you're going to be like fucking Pollock. Mm. He's right. No, I'll keep using it. I have no shame. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, Way. Yeah, I'm proud, actually, to be a yep you could You could make your own T-shirt. Uh, yep. <laughs> uh, they are handing out flyers backstage for an Occupy Smackdown movement where they want no more Shane McMahon and ending his tyranny. So that's how this started off. Mm-hmm. What did you think about the the return of the Occupy movement, Way, This is quite a few years removed from the Occupy movement, where, of course, the WWE famously spoofed this with that segment on, on Raw, with the Occupy Raw movement, with Daniel Bryan getting his title shot. I mean, this is kind of a dated reference. 
Yeah, I thought it was clever considering, you know, Brian's still very much a part of the show. And um, the whole point of uh, the storyline on this show was Zayn and Owens claiming to be oppressed by McMahon just as Brian did. What I felt would have really helped, however, was actually seeing a clip from that initial uh, angle. Because uh, while I think, you know, most people watching probably actually still remember it, um, wrestling fans, myself included, have short-term memories. And I think to really help sell the uh, parody, it would have really helped. And I could tell you a perfect time when they could have shown it. Because right before they actually came out and spoke, they aired a Snickers um, WWE <laughs> moment in history. Yes. Unfortunately, this one happened to be featuring The Rock's return from 2011, which had nothing to do with anything. Nor do they ever have anything to do, and you're completely right. Yeah, it's rather unfortunate. I, I, my only presumption is that maybe like Snickers has to like veto those things, or at least like um, I don't know, maybe they pre-produce them or something. So maybe, I can't imagine I don't Snickers know. is that involved in the clip they choose because I, they're com- well, they're I mean, completely non-contextual, and it's that's why I think Snickers has something to do with it because that I think if you're a PR person for Snickers, all you care about is okay, we're gonna. Uh, Attach our brand to this. Uh, can you get us something to do with The Rock? And that's probably it. But, I mean, if they had shown that Daniel Bryan thing as part of that, I think it would have benefited everybody. It would have benefited Snickers, would have benefited the show. But even that Snickers thing aside, I mean, just to show a clip of it, I think would have helped jog everybody's memory. AJ Styles came out and welcomed us to SmackDown Live, and he says he's usually cool under pressure, but he can't eat or sleep. He doesn't want to lose this title again, but asks what good is being champion if you're not a fighting champion. And then he puts over Jinder Mahal and holding the title for six months, and among his title defenses over the months, he beat Randy Orton in a Punjabi prison match, which he says is basically home field advantage. And even flew in the great Kali from India to help him and says how Jinder will do anything for this title. This prompts the Singh brothers to come out and they replay Jinder attacking the Singhs a few weeks ago. And Styles calls it cruel. He feels sorry for the Singhs and asks them to come hug it out in the ring. So I guess everyone was borrowing old Daniel Bryan segments tonight. Come and hug it out, yes. They entered the ring and Styles hugged them. And the Sings thanks Styles for their support, and they want to be in AJ's corner this Sunday, which the audience all saw through and started booing. And they state they're done with Jinder Mahal. He's a disgrace to the nation of India after he let all of them down this past weekend. They didn't actually say that part. He said they, they listed all the things, such as Jinder got to travel first class. They didn't. Uh, they had to they forced them to dress alike, which I thought was funny, and stay at bad motels and even had to kiss Jinder's feet. And Styles then points out, Well, you guys say you're done with Jinder, but wait a minute. You were in his corner this past weekend in India, as they show a still of them coming out with Jinder for his entrance. And that was all they showed of this past weekend. And for, AJ for said for a second, I thought they were gonna show match and make reference to the Triple H match. Well, that would have been completely stupid on your go-home show for the guy challenging the title. They didn't show that. There was no reference to what happened in India, just that Jinder was there. 
and AJ pointed out that it's called social media, guys. And uh, the so, then, said, so then wouldn't everybody know about the Triple H loss? <laughs> That's a great point. That's a great point, Way. Anyway, I thought this was a unique way of referencing their international tour this past weekend and going out of their way to avoid the preposterous finish that they booked mm. this past weekend. Yeah. Um, yeah, the segment was, and the match it's, itself, I think, is just kind of meh. Um, not it's kind of this pay-per-view on Sunday. Yeah, really. I mean, I'm really not sure why they had gender attack the Sings last week. Um, if they just had them reteam with gender in India. If the, the idea was to set something up for this show, to kind of tease, like they didn't even go through with it. The, it, the, the whole thing was kind of like the Sings, uh, tried to team up with AJ and then, uh, AJ saw right through it and then, uh, sent them back like all within five minutes. So you really didn't even get anything out of it. So I don't know. I, I don't understand why they even did the angle two weeks ago. I, I kind of like this though, because so often you would assume the ending would be the sings linking together with AJ and you could hear the audience react. Like they all saw through this plan and I think there's nothing worse for a baby face when your audience is smarter than than the baby face. But why? And here, but John, AJ, AJ was the one here who he knew this was a stupid plan. He outsmarted them. Certainly. But why even have gender attack them at all two weeks ago? To well, I mean, they, they, they did game? it prior to that. It wasn't even it, they did it after he lost the title as well. They've done these attacks multiple times. I mean, they're subservient to him physically and emotionally. Yeah, I guess so. All right. I mean, unless they're really uh, going to separate them, maybe they're going to come down on Sunday, and I feel they'll get involved in some way this Sunday. Mm. Although AJ pointed out he likes the idea of it just being one-on-one, so he attacked them with the idea that this little attack was going to stop them. Mm. Yes. I don't know if the physicality really warranted that these guys would not be around on Sunday. I mean, they did come back from that styles clash on top of one another. So they're very resilient. Mm, they're Canadian. Yeah. They have their own uh, Titantron and uh, theme music now, the Singh Brothers. They do. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw this clip of um, from a 1998 Raw, and it was when the corporation uh, was in full force. And Shane McMahon is coming out with the corporation. So Shane's got this, like, goofy production music. Uh, this was pre like his theme that everyone's recognizing mm-hmm. and I'm watching this clip and the videotron they gave Shane was this is 98. So this is like nine months before Chris Jericho debuts, but it was Chris Jericho's video. Like oh, with the, yeah. with that like the, the, the overhead shot of like Madison square garden and mm-hmm. you get the silhouette of the female figure and all of that. Really? And they, they used it for Shane. Mm-hmm. I guess they just had random, uh, production video that they just threw on for make him a titan tron jinder mahal came out at the end of this he's just seething and he styles calls them on their plan and this is when the audience is chanting jinder sucks and there was one loud guy that yelled that he loved jinder and this is when aj attacked the singh brothers and they left so that that was that this was our face-to-face segment yeah which they didn't really get that face to face. The match to me does not feel hot at all, and um, I can't see Ginger winning. <clears throat> excuse me, winning the belt back this Sunday. It would be such a 
yeah, step backward at this point. I don't know where you go with Jinder after this. I mean, maybe he's just, he settles into a, like I've always said, I think a, a good spot for him would be the, the U.S. title and doing something with that in a less, um, less of a spotlight on SmackDown where he's still a pushed guy, but not the pushed guy. Mm-hmm. I think he could have a good U.S. title run. Uh-huh. I'll take him over Baron Corbin in that role. Mm-hmm. Charlotte and Ruby Riot had a singles match, non-title, and this was the night of guest commentators. I think almost every match way had a guest commentator on SmackDown. It was the night of guest commentators interfering in matches. <laughs> I know. The first two matches, God, I thought Identical. This, this was like the less, the least creative SmackDown in months. Mm-hmm. So Natalia's on commentary. Charlotte has his waist lock and is throwing Ruby Riot around, sends her to the floor, and they go through a break. Uh, Sarah Logan gets knocked off the apron, and then Riot gets sent on top of them. Charlotte goes after all of the Riot squad members, drives Ruby into the apron, and then she nails Natalia. And Natalia comes back attacking Charlotte on the floor, so the DQ is called. And whatever we were talking about last week about the, the Riot squad becoming the default babyface lumberjacks, this week there was none of that. They were complete heels this week. And I think already they... I mean, compare them to Absolution, and I think that's the natural comparison we're going to make every week. Yes. This, these three just feel so less defined. And, 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 and just not as big of a threat. No, I no. Mean, they don't feel like a big threat already. You've already had them kind of in this gray area of like they were pseudo baby faces arguing with Natalia last week and confronting her. This week, they're like her muscle. Um, so... Well, yeah, and not not yeah. even getting promo time this week, which has been yeah. a key for Absolution. Certainly, yeah. Um, I think the the biggest harm I feel is positioning them as simply lumberjacks in a match, um, at a time when I think it, it is crucial for them to stand out from the rest. And having them simply be lumberjacks in the match, I would almost rather that they weren't at all lumberjacks and simply you know had a run in at some point. Um, to just kind of position them as, you know, certainly they'll be focused on in the match, but I think just to even see on that mark. Hello, hello? Yep. So, oh, sorry, I thought we cut out. But just to even see them on the marquee as, like, one of eight people who are going to be ringside, um, I don't think it does them any any service. Um, the match itself here, Riot versus Charlotte, really hasn't wasn't impressive either. I mean, on paper, I, th- I thought it looked good, but... The match itself, I feel like we saw what maybe five moves in this entire match with the commercial break in between. I mean, I guess people in the U.S. probably saw it in the picture in picture, but I didn't. So, not a match I'm interested in either. No, it was not much. Afterwards, Charlotte tried to fight off the Riot Squad. She's beaten down, tossed to the floor, and then sent into the steps, into the barricade. And then they placed the steps over top Charlotte, much like they did to Naomi a few weeks ago. And this was Naomi's return as she sprinted down the aisle, running drop kick to Liv Morgan, fought Ruby inside of the ring, hit her with the rear view, and then Morgan and Logan pulled Ruby away. They go up the ramp. And then Carmella, Tamina, and Lana come out, attacking them from behind, with Lana in her wrestling gear. So did Mark Carano uh, <laughs> lie to Lana? Is she, is she back in the mix now, way? She saved that singlet. I imagine she will be a lumberjack. Is she going to be wearing wrestling gear for this lumberjack duty? Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, 
it's not an actual match, and I doubt that she'll be gunning for the title anytime soon, or even you know beyond this wrestling all that much. But I suppose she doesn't. She wouldn't have a role otherwise on this show. Daniel Bryan's on his phone with Shane McMahon. He says he's got everything covered tonight. He's going to be on commentary. He tells Shane for the Owens Nakamura main event and Clash of Champions is the main priority. Owens and Zayn walk in and they hand him a Occupy SmackDown flyer. Next up, Bobby Roode is on commentary for Baron Corbin versus Dolph Ziggler in another non-title match. Dolph's music began, then it got faded down, and then they faded it back up. Uh, I missed this, but what, like, was this done for effect? No, this was a mistake. Oh, like what happened to the non-entrance entrance that he had? He's given up. He now realizes I need an entrance. <laughs> Yeah, that was completely dropped. <laughs> so this match began. Corbin missed and ran shoulder first into the post. Corbin didn't and, have a shirt this week. Uh, he came out with a shirt on. He did, he what, took, did he take it off? He took it off. Yeah, belly button fully exposed. Oh, man. All of it. So, um, so Corbin going into the post prompted Bobby to get up from his seat and take off his robe. He entered the ring. He looked at both men who were down. And he hit Ziggler with the glorious DDT in a minute 35 for our second consecutive DQ. It was and another Cor- nothing match. That nothing. Ended, completely nothing. That ended with another DQ finish to do the commentary guy. I mean, I thought this sucked. Especially because it was a second instance of, of this two segments in a row. Like, this was what, like 40 minutes into the show? Yeah. Minute 35 it went. After Corbin went for a choke slam to Rude, but Rude stopped him and gave him a glorious DDT. So he stood tall, confirming he won't be winning on Sunday. What a what a nothing three-way no, on Sunday. Nothing. Nothing. And then they showed a Bludgeon Brothers teaser going to break. These are great spots. You like them now? I do. I always like them. Really? Yeah. What is it? Like the costumes, the hammer? It's just everything. I just like the way it's a great teaser going to break. Yeah. It really defines their characters. I, I like, they're very I like what de- they... They're very detailed outfits. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I, I think that uh, that's part of the key. And then all the effects that they added in post as well for these these videos. And they're they're getting a lot of legs out of these promos. They air them every week now as the teaser. How about that scripting, though? That's the real... Oh, my favorite. I wish they did them every week, though. Yeah. yeah. I wish we just got those every week mm-hmm. instead of matches. Those are better than squash promos. That's what Ooh, we need. Literally, because yeah. they, they'll squash you with the hammer. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Then we got something that I don't think I've ever seen before. We had this was called a very special fashion files. So we saw this segment mid segment where essentially it's the Ascension who are not dead telling the Brizongo it can't end like this. And somehow this ended with Brizongo stating they're going to face the Bludgeon Brothers on Sunday at Clash of Champions. And then the announcers instruct us, we can go to WWE.com to find out the entire context of what this clip was that we just watched. (laughs) What the fuck? I mean, so it appears that they've, um, they, I think like many people have kind of lost interest in these fashion file things yet. Uh, to the point where they don't want to give them airtime on SmackDown. Um, it's yeah. even worse. It's like, okay, you guys shot a two-minute segment. 
We'll take a minute of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, these take a long time, and I, you know, in the end, what is it for? Like, I guess this is a, this is not on the kickoff, is it? It's it's an actual match, right? No, the kickoff is Mojo and Zach. So oh, I imagine these guys ridiculous. are on the actual pay per view. Yeah. So they've they've put the fashion files now in onto the digital. Basically, it's a digital special, and at this point, maybe it's for the best because I haven't really found them amusing in a while. They're kind of largely designed to like pop the internet anyway. So yeah, whatever. The Bludgeon Brothers took on the returning Colin Delaney, who you may remember as the he was pretty much the James Ellsworth of the the WWE's ECW a decade ago, where he was this scrawny kid with uh, at the time, longer hair than he has now. Uh, I mean, if they hadn't identified him, you you probably wouldn't even have recognized him. Uh, and his partner, Screaming Joe Monroe. I like this guy. Was, this guy oh, stole. This guy stole the show. Joe Monroe was awesome. Yeah. In this match, uh, Rowan hit a drop kick to Delaney, and then Monroe's knocked off the apron. They splashed Delaney. Rowan tosses Monroe back into the ring. And they hit him with, like verbatim, the killer bomb, which is the finisher of Lance Archer and Davy Boy Smith Jr. Mm. And uh, Joe Monroe, as he takes this move, which is uh, where the one guy lifts him in a full Nelson into a sit-out powerbomb, this high-pitched scream that I rewound three times to listen to. I mean, this was just great. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was Joe Monroe making everything count in this squash. Hey, it looks and, like, like, like James Ellsworth got, what, like a year out of his jobber match? So take note. Yeah, I mean, maybe Joe Monroe, he was just influenced by Norman Smiley. Thought, hey, mm. I could get something here. And then they hit the double crucifix bomb to Delaney and won in a minute 22. Yep. That was it. Owens and Zane come out. And this was just a series of statements and questions from Sami Zayn with Kevin Owens replying, yep, and going through all of their grievances. And as I was listening to this, I was thinking in the back of my head that if they continue with this, this yep has the potential of being another what? Oh. Where you you just have the audience, you just give them a one-syllable word to and every statement made during a promo. That is true. Now, is that something they should try to avoid? Or, I mean, would you consider it a sign of success? If, if well, given the fact that the, the what chant began 16 years ago, and we still get them, I would void at all cost. But um, it also didn't feel like the audience really took to this. Um, or at least... Not if they're gonna continue this, maybe this becomes a trend, but at least uh, the audience wasn't reacting like that here. Uh, Owen says that Shane is the worst McMahon of them all, and he's a madman on a rage bender who couldn't defend his family's honor. And now it's time to occupy SmackDown and hopes that the ring is reinforced for all the people in the back to come out and join their movement. And no one comes out except for Daniel Bryan who walks out and stands there, and then his music starts. Mm-hmm. Now this, I don't know if this was intentional or not. I don't know why they would delay his music, but it was just long enough to be awkward. 
I'm trying to think of the effect that they were intending. Maybe the expectation for from Owens and Zane is that a whole locker room would come out and then Brian himself comes out. It would have been awkward for Brian to simply walk out doing the yes thing, right? But maybe it's like the idea that, okay, they wanted Brian to just walk out and appear as the only person to actually, you know, to assume, assume it, to, to have the assuming, um, a support for, for Owens and Zane. But Daniel Bryan can't just walk to the ramp or to the ring. He has to do the yes skip to the ring with the music and thus the entrance after. Oh, it's a lot of thought they put into the same people that uh, maybe overthought this, underthought our first two matches of the night. Mm. So he comes out asks what these two guys are doing. They compare their situation to the one Brian went through years ago. Brian says they are nothing like him. The yes movement was never about himself. It was about the fans. Owens tells Brian not to drink the Kool-Aid. Shane wants to screw them and take food away from their family. They have worked for years to get here, and now a ruthless tyrant wants to take it away from them. Brian acknowledges that both Owens and Zayn are very talented. He's going to make sure that their match is fair on Sunday to prove that they belong here. And he announces that there will be a second guest referee on Sunday, and it will be him. And this made Owens and Zayn very happy as they celebrated. Yeah, Brian basically is claiming that he will be there to offset Shane. Brian offsets Shane. Good stuff. I thought Owens and Zayn were great. I enjoyed Brian as well. I, I mean, I like how slowly and organically his feud with Shane is building up. And uh, yeah, I mean, more to come, I guess, in, in when we talk about the main event. Now, if we had done a predictions at the beginning of the year and I said, hey, Shinsuke Nakamura and Daniel Bryan will be in a match together, what <laughs> would you have said? Probably wouldn't have said likely, would you? And here we are, pay-per-view yeah. match involving both men. In 2017, the New Day were out on commentary with pancakes. Aiden English and Rusev are already inside the ring, and they state that today and every day is Rusev Day, and English goes to continue his uh, his Christmas song going to, uh, starting at the eighth day of Rusev and went all the way down, including four unhindered genders. And this was pretty damn impressive, I thought. I, I mean... Yeah, actually, yeah, sure. He's a really good singer. I I agree. The Usos come out. They cut a promo on Santa taking English and Rusev off the naughty list and what Santa would give these two instead, including new singing lessons, a new toupee, a new tag partner, a new tan, and then states a clash of champions. It's about the Usos. Then Gable and Benjamin come out, and they're tired of Rusev Day, The New Day, and Day One-ish, which is the first time I think all of us realize that they all have these common common traits of day being mm -hmm. incorporated here. Mm -hmm. So their thing is training day. Because did, did he said a line, but Shelton said a line from training day, right? Yes. Yes. All those uh, fans of the 2001 movie, I'm sure that's just right at the top of their, their memory bank. They state the only date that matters is this Sunday. It's collection day. 
Shelton says that King Kong doesn't have ish on us. And this is where they used the, the training day lines. And then they did a spoof on the New Day where they thrust their hips. And the New Day's reaction to this, I thought, I thought was the most entertaining part. I thought Gable was trying, but I, I mean, he felt exposed on the mic next to almost everybody else here. Just kind of seemingly lacking the comfort and charisma um, required to pull off a promo like that, I thought. And I also feel like the crowd still doesn't know how to treat Gable and Shelton. They don't know if they're heels or babyfaces. And I don't know either. I think they're like, at this point, just I guess they're just supposed to dislike everybody. But um, they're not blatantly heels nor are they blatantly baby faces so they just kind of exist somewhere in between um yeah they had a quick tag match with the usos against rusev and aiden english rusev had a bear hug applied to jay for quite a while jay got free tagged in jimmy he hit a super kick to english rusev made the save then jimmy knocked rusev into the barricade he came back with the machka kick and nailed jimmy from the floor and then aiden finished him off with a front face ddt and pinned jimmy at 234. So, Bruce Evan English pinned the tag champions going into Sunday's four-way. And what do you see coming out of the match? The Usos retaining. Yeah, I would keep the belts on the Usos. Although, I hope they continue building Bruce Evan English because I see the most potential in them. It's obviously, as like the, the lead heels on the, on the, in the division, uh, I find them both really entertaining, but maybe not. they're not hot enough for it yet. Renee interviewed AJ Styles, and then he was jumped by Jinder, who was accompanied by the Sings, and they knocked out AJ and just left him for dead here. So that was our final angle between these two. They announced Mojo and Zack Ryder for the Clash of Champions kickoff show. Yeah, and then I mean, they waited months to execute that breakup. <laughs> they do it, and Mojo... Well, they did, the, they did a promo on Facebook to set, the, set up the match. They did. Yeah. Okay, I mean... <laughs> it's like I watch all this WWE programming and I've got to go find more. Are you kidding me? I just, like, I feel bad for those guys. I mean, those two don't even get a segment on the show to sell their months-long build <laughs> yeah. breakup. Zach never even got a promo on TV to talk about him being turned on by his longtime tag team partner. And the match that they'll eventually have is on the kickoff. So... Sorry. I mean, well, whatever. Ah, it's just when you finally do a breakup angle, there should be the reaction to it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a that's a huge part of the breakup. And on this show, they decided it was more important to have a squash match with the Bludgeon Brothers, which I'm not complaining about. But if you're doing breakup angles, I think you should see them through. And if it's just to build to a kickoff match, I question why even do the breakup. Why waste an angle on something that you have no intention of of promoting and making any big deal for? It only waters down future breakup angles for me. That's why people are tired of just these these patterned angles because they're done with characters that have no value on the show. So it just it hurts the it hurts an angle. Mm -hmm. Then Randy Orton and Shinsuke Nakamura came out ahead of the main event, and they were interviewed by Renee inside of the ring. The crowd is chanting for Nakamura. 
Orton says he doesn't like Owens and Zayn. They're both obnoxious. He calls them idiots who are going to lose their jobs. And then Renee asks if Nakamura feels the same way. And Nakamura says, yep. And everyone <laughs> laughed. Ha, ha, ha. Because he's foreign. Daniel Bryan was on commentary for our main event with Nakamura against Owens with Orton in one corner, Sami Zayn in the other. Bryan talks about Owens and Zayn having this long road on the indies for 15 years to make it here. Owens had a headlock spot that went on forever. We went through a commercial break. Nakamura fought back, hit a flying boot, and then a sit-out gourd buster, nailing Owens with kicks to the chest. Then Owens gets up to the top, goes for a swanton, landing on the knees of Nakamura, and the reverse exploder gets stopped, and then they run into the referee, so he's knocked down. Brian gets up, takes the referee's shirt, and he takes over the match. Nakamura avoids a pop-up powerbomb, and Brian counts, Owens, Owens kicks out, and then Zayn gets involved in the ring. Orton comes in, taking him out, and Brian just lets them go at it. And they go to the floor. Orton gets poked in the eye and sent into the post. And then as Nakamura is setting up for the Kinshasa, Zayn gets up on the apron. Nakamura goes after him. Owens capitalizes, hits the pop-up powerbomb, pins Nakamura with Brian counting three. And mm -hmm. uh, we go into Sunday with the idea that Brian is secretly backing Owens and Zayn. And Renee asked Owens and Zayn if they had any final words and Owen says that nobody will take this away from them. They are the absolute best in the entire WWE. He kisses Zayn on the cheek and just repeats, yep, 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 over and over again to close SmackDown. Mm -hmm. I thought there was some good storytelling on the finish. And I'm glad you had such a good detailed recap of the match itself because for me it was kind of tough to focus. And that's not really a bad thing because I thought the real main event was on commentary in this match. Uh, first of all, Daniel Bryan being there, it just kind of reminded me how great he was on Talking Smack, how great he was on the CWC, because the man, essentially what was happening was Byron basically put Bryan through a deposition here about his allegiances. And Bryan mm -hmm. is able to speak so well in character and provide so much logic um, and just like great reasoning for why he is neutral. And the man brought up his relationship with Shinsuke Nakamura dating back 10 years. Um, the, I guess the, um, you know, incidents he's had with Randy Orton coming up through the Indies with Brian, uh, Owens and, and, and Zayn, they get into an argument, Brian and Byron about, okay. So Brian says, do you think everything like referencing their, their, uh, um, uh, his pass with uh, Nakamura and, and Owens and Zane. Brian says to Byron, do you think everything that happened here in the past 10 years or everything that happened outside of the WWE in the past 10 years just disappears from my memory? And then Byron <laughs> comes back, everything that counts, and then the whole team, whoa! So, I mean, what was so interesting to me was here's Daniel Bryan trying to create validity in things that existed outside of the WWE. And Byron, let's not forget the fact that Vince McMahon is in everybody's ear. So how I was envisioning this whole thing was Daniel, Brian Danielson arguing about the validity of the independence with Vince McMahon on live television. So I, I found it tremendously entertaining. Um, I thought Brian, as always, does an incredible job. Um, 
playing, uh, you know, just defending his neutrality. Yeah, and uh, Byron, you know, uh, or Slash Vince McMahon did a great job playing devil's advocate. <laughs> like the Slash in there. Yeah. Uh, so that was SmackDown uh, heading into Sunday. And we can take a look at the card for this uh, this huge year-end show. So we have AJ Styles, Jinder Mahal. Where do you think they go with this? Is this just uh, is the intrigue to see what kind of a match AJ can get out of this guy on Sunday? Um, yeah, I mean, sure. I I think that's part of it. I mean, we've kind of seen, you know, the match they've had. Uh, I'm not too excited for it. Um, will they? Go for the shocking title switch. I I really can't see it. I think AJ should be the guy to carry SmackDown. I feel like the gender experiment needs to end, and I think this is, you know, final nail in the coffin. Let's hope. Sorry yeah, look, about my voice. I'm 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 still coming coming down from a a cold. So. Oh no pr- no problem. Um, I'll give you a break when I go through this uh this podcast interview. But right. uh, you look at this card, and it's like. Okay, you have you have stakes here with AJ and Jinder. I guess there's some interest in, you know, whether AJ retains. And then you have Orton and Nakamura against Owens and Zayn, where there's there's stipulations attached to it. There's a lot of story going into that match. The rest of this card, like as I read you these matches way, it's like, who cares who wins? I like, I, I don't think yeah. I don't think you would care one iota if uh the Usos or Gable and Benjamin leave with the tag titles. At best, this is a TV special and probably their weakest pay-per-view in months because, I mean, you look at the string of, like, um, pay-per-views they've had. Even, you know, what Survivor Series was looking pretty weak, but they, like, jacked that thing up when they had to. And it seemed like, it seems like in previous months, they've been kind of, like, very wary of subscribers canceling their subscriptions uh, perhaps this month they don't have to worry as much because the Rumble is just right around the corner. WrestleMania season is right around the corner, and perhaps they feel like they can afford a shitty show this month. Well, the rest of the card is, as we said, the Usos, New Day, Benjamin and Gable, and then Rusev and English for the tag titles, Charlotte against Natalia for the Women's Championship with the Lumberjack gimmick, Baron Corbin, Bobby Roode, Dolph Ziggler, Brizongo against the Bludgeon Brothers, and then on the pre-show, Zack Ryder, Versus Mojo Raleigh. I'm not yeah. very excited for this show. No, uh, that is all. And yet we uh, ha- and yet we will actually be watching this one. We will be watching this one. We yeah. we are going to have a show on Sunday night uh, where we will review Clash of Champions, and then um, I'll probably do a quick rundown of the ROH pay per view because that's coming up on Friday night. And let's see way what your interest level is as I read you this lineup. Okay. We have Cody against Dalton Castle for the ROH title. They did the contract signing on TV this past week uh, where Cody was wearing the crazy uh, fur coat that Dusty wore back in the 80s. Uh, Then Bully Ray and Tommy Dreamer against the Briscoes in a New York street fight, which, as I said on Monday, the buildup has been really good for this feud, especially the Briscoes turning heel. Kenny King defends the television title against Punishment Martinez, Shane Taylor, and Silas Young in a four-way. We'll see how that one goes. Martinez has been their big protected monster uh, throughout the year, and certainly in a four-way, he can lose without being pinned. Jay Lethal against Marty Skrull. That should be very good. They've kind of been teasing uh, a lethal turn during this program, and Marty Skrull trying to get him to go back to his, his heel ways. 
Uh, the Addiction, Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian taking on War Machine. They did a big angle on TV this past week where they cut part of Hanson's beard and mm. uh, they will be coming for revenge. Matt Taven versus Will Ospreay. Uh, then the Motor City Machine Guns are defending the tag titles against Trent Beretta and Chucky e. T, fresh off of the World Tag League. And then for the six-man tag titles, the Hung Bucks, the Young Bucks and Hangman Page defending against Dragon Lee, Flip Gordon, and Teton. And that should be insane. So it's a good card on yeah. Friday night. Probably- and and some, sometimes with ROH shows, you don't get the... Sometimes it's a good lineup and the television is... It's more so just on matches as opposed to big angles. Uh, for this show, for their year-end one, I've been pretty happy with the the storylines they've used to set up a, lo- a lot of these matches um, throughout. So um, there's no yeah, comparison this... about what show looks better on paper this weekend. Like if I no no it's a it's a it's a ten eight round I think looking yeah. at lineups here. I mean if I if I only have to pick one like I I wish we were doing a review of this instead of the of, if I had to pick one. Uh, well, you can come over. You can watch it if you want. Uh, I'm going to be watching this this weekend. Uh, There you go. Well, are you ready for this? Uh, I think you'll enjoy this way because this is, um, an interview, uh, that was done earlier this week with Tom Cassiello, who was the managing lead writer in the WWE, uh, up until his departure from the company last December. And, uh, He had not done any interviews, but this was a guy that was there in the company for almost six years. So the guy has a lot of stories. And uh, I think for many people, this is a really long shit. This is like a four hour interview this guy ended up doing. So I thought I was going to be charitable with my time to quickly go through this with some of the key uh, stories that came out of this podcasting, uh, which didn't quite take me four hours because uh, putting my speed up to two times. And this guy was a fairly fast talker. So I had to kind of go between one and a half to two, but I could do it in a lot less time. So it's a wonderful function, Mm. but I will say this, when I go to normal speed now, it sounds like they're talking slow. So that's like a weird side effect of this whole thing. I noticed today. Um, yeah, yeah. I, should I try to talk faster Would that help? No, no. I want you to rest your voice so you can okay. just listen and, and you can chime in uh, with any thoughts or reaction if you have any. So uh, quickly going through this, uh, because I think this is interesting for anyone that just looks at the process of just getting hired by WWE. He was first his background is in soap operas. He worked on a number of different shows, the last one being, I believe, The Young and the Restless. And he came into the company uh, just after WrestleMania 27 back in 2011. That was the year with uh, John Cena and The Miz in the main event and Rock coming back. So his first interview was with Brian Gortz. And then his follow-up was like a 90-minute session with Stephanie McMahon. And he was brought in. He said his first year was very rough. This was before they had the home and away writing teams uh, set up. And he talked about just the incredible turnover rate of writers, including, I mean, it was such a joke amongst the talent that John Cena came up to Tom, this writer, at one of the TVs, and he told him, I'm not going to learn your name. You won't be here next week. And 
within eight months of this guy being on the writing team, he had the most seniority of everybody. So that tells you Hmm. the amount of people that don't last on this writing team. And Tom Cassiello didn't have, like he watched wrestling as a kid, but was hardly a fan coming into this. So he had to learn all the wrestling lingo and all the different terms um, that go with it. And the first show he was mainly assigned to was NXT before it was being done at a full sale university. This is when it was just airing on the internet and internationally. And it was the final um, series where it was the whole competition theme. um, And it was not very well viewed. So it did kind of give him a lot of leeway with talent that was hardly being used. They were just thrown onto NXT. And one of the guys he cited that helped him a lot was uh, TJ Wilson, who helped explain a lot of how wrestling is booked and how it works and just getting to use a lot of younger, uh, lower card talent that weren't being utilized anywhere. And he talked about the show was getting about 100,000 views every week and then This thing just dragged on forever this season, if you remember it, and not many people were watching it, but they did get to a 100th episode, which they peaked with 400,000 viewers, and they went all out trying to make this thing a a big deal, this episode 100, and it included them going to the production team to get the, they had some feuds going on on this show, and they had these pay-per-view video packages made, and this got the attention of John Cena and Arn Anderson, and they were really impressed of what this writer did with this show. So that was kind of his, uh, I guess, his acceptance in the uh, in the world of WWE. So we won't spend too much time on, on the NXT stuff. But then he talks about working with um, more hands-on with Raw and SmackDown as he kind of went up the ladder and had different roles throughout his time. Um, you may remember this way when they had... Eve Torres turn heel. It was in early 2012 when she yes. turned on on Zack Ryder. Mm-hmm. So that was done on Raw in the opening segment. And the heel turn, they came up with the idea, and it was pitched to the team at 7.30 p.m. before Raw went on the air. And they ended up changing the first segment of the show 10 minutes before they went to air after Cena sat down with Vince McMahon to go over it. And... It leads to this opening segment that set up the turn and Vince McMahon is producing this segment and all of a sudden there's like um, there was some injury that they angle that they did and Vince wanted a suit out there and Tom because when a writer writes a segment they're also kind of there in the gorilla position and Mm -hmm. producing it as well with Vince and they're sitting there Mm -hmm. so this writer Tom Cassiello gets sent out into the segment Um, and apparently got a lot of heat because he wore his backstage pass around his neck. Not so much heat, but he got yelled at because he wore his backstage pass on. So So he was... Why? What's wrong? (laughs) It's it's part of the character. You're not supposed to do that. He's an executive. You're not... Do do those not exist in in kayfabe? This this is the WWE way. Different rules. Um, He got into a big discussion because... um, he was also a big uh, component of the women's division. And the way the pecking order, it sounds like it would work, is that when the writers first get hired, they're assigned to the women. And then you graduate to the men, which kind of tells you where the women's division was in 2011 and how it was viewed mm-hmm. for the entry-level writers. And 
he really got along well with many of the the women. He was the key person involved in the Daniel Bryan, AJ Lee story, which Bryan went to him being very reluctant to do a romance story stating, I'm not the romance guy. And the he ended up going with it and ended up being a, a huge um, breakthrough for Brian. But it was always designed to get to Brian and Punk. And they outlined one segment where AJ would kiss uh, Brian. And then he would go and she would go and, I guess, kiss Punk. And I know Cena was involved in there somehow. And then Vince came up with the idea, yeah, and then she'll kiss Kane. And it just sounded like Kane was just out of left field. And it's clear that Vince just went in doubt, insert Kane. Like that just seems to be like it's Vince's favorite toy to play with mm-hmm. that can be put into any situation. Um, but uh, Tom, who's clearly a very progressive thinking individual, um, he wanted to kind of change a lot of the stereotypes of the women and kind of using characters like AJ and he even mentioned Summer Rae as kind of owning their sexuality as opposed to these women being portrayed as just, you know, for lack of a better term, as like whores on television that would go from guy to guy and putting, giving the women more power on on the shows and kind of appealing to a, a female audience um, as well. So, and he talked about kind of a lot of the the pushback about this throughout his tenure there. And one of the ideas they had when they did the marriage angle with Brian and AJ was that Brian was going to dupe her into marrying him because then Brian would have the power to have AJ committed to an asylum. And and this was actually a storyline they did on Dallas where JR got Sue Ellen committed because the husband could have the wife committed. So AJ would disappear and then she would return from the asylum with her new beau, Dean Ambrose. And that would have been Ambrose's debut. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, still terrible, but okay. He, I, I think Ambrose was very happy. They forego, they didn't go with this idea and instead he got the shield. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and it's, and it actually worked out well for AJ because instead she was made GM of raw and, and got that run. Uh, now Tom is also, uh, an openly gay individual. And he talked about, there was a meeting before he was hired for all of the writing staff and I guess everybody uh, just to let them know that this man is coming on board and to watch what you say. And as they were building up the Cena Rock program for WrestleMania 28, I guess it was, um, maybe 29, one of the two that they had the match at, Cena did a freestyle and made a broke back Mountain reference during his promo, which Tom actually loved the line. But it was this and it was also around the same time Michael Cole sent that direct message to Josh Matthews that wasn't a direct message and was the yep. F word that you just don't use. Mm-hmm. So the entire writing team had to go for a sensitivity training class by Glad, which Tom goes to them and says, do I have to attend this? And they said, yes. Mm. The gay writer had to go attend the sensitivity training session and he called this two hours of bullshit um and was not very happy with this uh, one particular meeting um some other things here i won't go on forever here but some 
advice he gives to all writers coming in is to never pitch a whodunit storyline where there's a mystery at the end of it. Because what you'll end up with are two examples that he did that ended up awful, where the payoff was Oksana in a wig that I vaguely remember and Kevin Nash texting himself, which was the payoff after he showed up. He said that, (laughs) and it made me think of the fashion files right now, where they did this whole mystery where they had no idea where they were going. And Tom explained that for a a proper whodunit storyline, you have to know the ending and then work backwards and every single clue has to make sense. And they don't do it like that because it's a show that changes its mind every week and it can't make sense. So he tells them never to pitch that kind of storyline. It'll turn out awful. And you look at their track record and I mean, there's, I mean, the, the anonymous GM, do you have to go any further than that? I mean, this year you can argue that they've maybe been the most successful that they've done uh, something, something like that with. And I'm thinking about Jason Jordan. I mean, again, arguable. You know, Jason Jordan. And, and, the and that was one thing. that they did know at the start where they were going. And also Enzo and Cass and, and that breakup. Um, you know, remember the weeks and weeks of, you know, who who done it. But, uh, yeah, there was like, it seemed like it was almost a trend for a, for a little bit there. Um, some other stories he shared. Um, it was mandated, he said, that Paige was coming up the night after WrestleMania 30, winning the title. He wasn't a fan of this because once you win the title on your first night, there's nowhere to go but down. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the Bellas had their storyline uh, together in the summer of 2014, and there was a line in this where Nikki said, I wished you died in the womb. That she, the, the Bellas came up with the line to use. Mm-hmm. And what wasn't known was that Brie nearly did die in the womb when she was born. Which, well, they came up with it, so they must joke about it themselves. Well, that also uh, kind of dovetails into the Paige and Charlotte promo from the Raw going into Survivor Series 2015. And this was one that got a ton of attention at the time because that was Paige using the line about Reed dying. Mm -hmm. And Tom explained Charlotte pitched the idea of using this line and had done it for a while. And she said there was no heat in this feud. And at the time, there was a lot of belief that Charlotte was kind of forced into this. And this seemed anything but like Charlotte was all on board for this. Mm-hmm. Now, what what really clouded this was the fact that Ric Flair at the time did his podcast and he was clearly bothered by this. And I mean, I was upset at the time because it was clear he was not told ahead of time that this line was coming. And he was talking about like he was in tears hearing it. Mm-hmm. But from the the way this sounds, it was like Charlotte was at least from this side of things with, with this particular writer that Charlotte was completely on board and actually pushed for the line. Mm. Um, so that was interesting. Um, what else here? Uh, she, and then he just talked a bit about the brand split as well, because he was part of SmackDown up until December of last year and thought that the SmackDown women, that became the show that a lot of people looked at as the, especially for the women, uh, which I think everyone would agree when they did the draft, like the big names like Charlotte and Sasha and who else page, they were all on raw initially, but it was the SmackDown women. I think that really evolved and they, they did a lot of good stuff there. And she, he compared uh, Becky Lynch kind of as their 
Daniel Bryan um, as well, this underdog that they felt people would all get behind. And he said that SmackDown is good right now, but last year it was great. And they talked a lot about the transformation of the women's division from divas to women. And the final story I'll share here is his discussions with Vince McMahon, who I guess he had his battles with over the years, but had a lot of respect for Vince McMahon and said that Vince is very smart when it comes to um, different kinds of movies and how they can um, how they connect to wrestling. Mm. And he said there was one specific movie that Vince talked about that he was able to translate it to wrestling. And he was so impressed with it. And he said, Vince loves this movie. And that movie is There's Something About Mary. <laughs> Vince loves that movie. <laughs> oh, look, it's, it's sperm in his fucking hair. So that was it. That was uh, it, the I would, podcast. I, I would love to know the the actual comparison that he made. Yeah, I, w- I would love to know it too. I mean, it's, hmm. uh, yeah, he didn't go into uh, specifics there. But um, yeah, it's it's a lengthy listen, but I think for anyone that wants kind of a, an inside look at just how the shows are put together and the thought processes um, it's a really insightful uh, interview, and you can follow it at agenda underscore podcast, and you can just get the link there. And the four-hour show is up there if you want to check it out with Tom Cassiello. So that is that. Cool. And that is going to wrap it up, folks, for this show, and we're going to let Way's voice recover because can, he's can, got can, Clash can, of Champions to get ready for. Yeah. Before we go, can we talk about the um, the Jericho angle on uh, at the press conference? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you watch it? I did. And uh, I mean, I think I, I was uh, critical of, and I still am, of, of the actual um, parts of it, parts of the actual angle from the World Tag League. But I, I love that press conference and I love the, what they did. Um, and I love the way it was produced. I think a big part of like why I felt the presser was so effective was because there was no commentary it was like it was just a camera like a cam- like a wide angle camera that was capturing everything uh-huh. and it it didn't feel produced you know it did it, it just felt like you're watching something that wasn't supposed to happen and jericho was very impressive seeing him just lead and and just like use that kind of like very formal setting in a very such a formal environment of a Japanese press conference setting to as his own playground to just like wreck havoc and and go nuts and um I thought it was masterful I've got to imagine that Jericho is having so much fun doing this and when you're in the WWE system for as long as you are and I'm not like harping on it like in a negative sense but it's a heavily produced environment and that's just that's just the way WWE is and it's it separates them from many other promotions and there's good and bad to that but I've got to imagine as a guy that that came up in the territories and is a true student of history and the industry I mean this is a guy that got suspended for getting heat in Brazil for stepping on a flag and the last time I spoke to him the the hoops he had to jump through and the fights he had to have to get the festival of friendship, like his vision 
on TV. I mean, mm-hmm. it's very frustrating when you have a vision that you're so confident will work and you've got powers that are stopping you thinking that's the the bad direction uh, to go in. And here he is in New Japan where I can almost definitively say that Omega and Jericho have full leeway here and Gato's blessing for a lot. And I'm sure Gato's involved in all of this, but you're not getting that kind of resistance and it's all basic stuff and it's building. And a lot of it, it's just, you know, old school stuff that's very effective. And I, I imagine it's got to be a breath of fresh air to just be in an, an environment that's just less produced and controlled. And like probably totally uh, unintentional, but like at the end of that segment, there's like a great shot of like Don Callis walking into frame with the neck collar and he's like out of focus. And um, anyway, just kind of icing on the cake. Yeah. One other thing just to bring up from that interview um, uh, with Tom was he talked about NXT and the main roster and he stated how there needs he doesn't feel that one necessarily prepares you for the other because they're so different at this point. Mm -hmm. He said that one is it's like complete sport and built up in that sense. And then you have Raw and SmackDown, which are so different. And he said one of his criticisms is that in NXT, you're building up a lot of characters for that format that have a very difficult time on the main roster where he believes as a writer, you have to have characters that you can present as baby faces and later down the road as heels and put in all these different scenarios. And it's an interesting discussion when you talk about, you know, a lot of people are fans of the much more conservative NXT product. That's just, it's a lot more basic and simple and they're well received by people, but it is not the same level of audience. It's not even close Mm -hmm. to the main roster and is one in some ways it certainly gets you set for the main roster and what you can expect. But in other ways, it is very different, the presentation of both. And that's coming from a writer's perspective who has to write for these characters and they they can be very different. And we, and we've seen, we've seen some success stories, but we've seen a lot of characters that succeeded in one in NXT and didn't on the main roster. hundred percent. I mean, look at Finn Balor. You can argue he has not been as hot in his run since his first day. You know, you can argue that he has, in terms of how how um, how valuable he was as a commodity and how much buzz he had attached to him, he probably had more of it when he was only in NXT than, you know, anything he's done on the main roster. Shinsuke Nakamura, exactly the same. On the flip side, though, you have cases where, like, people do better than what they were doing in NXT. And I'm looking at, at a guy like Samoa Joe as the best example of that. Somebody, you know, Joe had an okay run, like, in NXT, but I think on the main roster he's been great. And, you know... Joe's all... an interesting one, because if you look at the characters that are very much... Uh, what would be the best way to describe it? I mean, they're just... They're solid wrestling characters that succeeded like i'm looking at balor i'm looking at nakamura and not to just pigeonhole them as just simply like their gimmicks are they're wrestlers they're great wrestlers nakamura there's a certain there's an incredible charisma that i don't think has necessarily uh followed him throughout this run but neither but can he, really promo like no at least it's and not that, their that's strength. a huge that's a huge shortcoming joe can talk but mm-hmm. he's also 
presented as Samoa Joe on the main roster. And he's not put in situations where he's got to do comedy or he's got to do segments that are outside of his comfort zone. So he's been a character that I think it, it also tells you when a guy's brought up to the main roster, if they have plans for you or not. And it, it can become definitely a plays on your, with your head. If you're succeeding in one and then you're brought up, I mean, what, what do you think an Apollo Cruz is where, where he's at? You know what I mean? He's almost been on the main roster two years at this point. Yeah. So anyway, that part was interesting too, but I think that will bring this show to a close. So as we sign off, you can of course go to John and way for dot life. We are going to be back on Sunday night with a review of Clash of Champions. So if you're watching the show, or even more importantly, if you're not watching the show and want to recap, you can download our show. It will be up late Sunday night, and then Monday and Tuesday next week, reviewing Raw and SmackDown as they get set for Christmas, mm -hmm. where they will not be taking a break. Christmas yeah. Day Raw. Before Christmas Day, December 24th. The real Christmas. The real Christmas. We will. Christmas be is a day early this year. We will be having our annual Christmas show, and there will be jingles, which you can submit to John. John Pollock, 416 at gmail.com. We have already received entries. Oh, excellent. Yes. Uh, but we will also have friends on the show, and there might even be some announcements, so stay tuned. Yes, and I hope all of you listen, including... Uh, Peter, who just direct messaged me, and the subject line was five words, what happened to the law? So for you listeners out there, tune into the Christmas show. No, I feel bad because there's still so many people that I think no, are still I know, finding I know, I know. out, and there's really no way that they would know if they don't follow us on social media. So, you know, um, yeah, I oh. hope everybody finds us at least by Christmas, and if not, uh, sometime in the new year because... Uh, a lot of people are asking about iTunes. I think all these things will be will be answered soon enough. All right. Uh, Way's going to keep me posted. Yeah. So that is it for us. <laughs> Good night, everybody. And we will chat with you Sunday night. <laughs>